Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Tez International Podcast with me, Dan Worth. Today we're chatting with Elise Ikoff, the Group Education Director for Nord Anglia. We chat about the challenge of guiding a global education group during a pandemic, the positives that we can take from the last year, and why she believes in the power of mentors to help careers flourish. Hi, Elise. Thank you so much for joining the TES International Podcast. Really great to have you as a guest for this episode. I'm sure it'll be a fascinating discussion, actually, when we come to the topics we're going to talk about. I think to start with, though, why don't you just introduce yourself a little bit about your role, you know, how you came to be in that role, just so we can get an understanding of the context from within which you're talking and, and how you came to be in that role. Great. Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, I am the Director of Education for Nord Anglia. Um, I've been in this role since July of 2020, so very recent, still very new, but certainly not new to education. I started my career as a teacher. Actually, I, I started as a teacher as, as a child. I always loved school, wanted to be a teacher, played school at home. And when I was seven years old, my parents came home with the best gift anyone could have, a little sister. So I had a built-in pupil for my school for many, many years to come. Um, and when I went off to university, I was completely um, determined to be a teacher and um, went to university in the early 1980s. So I'm dating myself a little bit. But at the time, so many of the other young women were saying, why would you be a teacher? You could always be a teacher. Now you mm. could be a lawyer or an architect or a doctor. And so I actually changed my major um, to go into journalism because I liked writing. And I had this really wonderful professor who said, you don't love this. Go mm. back and do what you love. And so I got my degree in um, elementary education and I never looked back. And I started teaching at a wonderful um, little elementary school, taught second grade. And in my second year of teaching, so really I was just a baby, um, my principal must have seen something in me that I really did not recognize in myself and asked me to take a, a quasi leadership role in a workshop that we were we were required to do for all of our teachers. So here I was a, a very young teacher having to train other teachers in um in these new techniques. Hmm. And that just sparked something. So I went back and got a master's degree in educational leadership and um, left the classroom really, really only after seven years of teaching to move on to be an assistant principal. And I didn't want to leave that school because every school, you know, becomes home. But I did and uh, moved on and continued to, to grow in my career. And then um, decided that I was going to move to um, from public in education to private education um, for a lot of reasons, but because I was looking for something different for my own children. Um, you know, like many working moms, I had was raising kids and learning that they, even though you raise them in the same house, they learn differently and they wanted different things. And so I found an incredible, wonderful private school, did not think I would end up in that same place. And a year later, I followed them there. And that was North Broward Preparatory School. Again, I went from being a principal because somebody tapped me on the shoulder and said, you know, your experience might lend itself to secondary. Mm. And I said, oh, I didn't know anything about secondary. I'm, I'm an elementary school teacher. And again, a mentor believed in me and um, 
I became the assistant head of school, had to learn from some really fabulous teachers about the nuances of teaching in secondary. And while teaching and learning, you know, there are similarities from pre-K to 12 and beyond, there were definitely things I needed to learn and learn in a hurry. Um, and I was able to do that. And then um, again, um, because of other people's belief in me, I became the head of school and I was the first female head of school. And at that time, um, the Nord Anglia family um, acquired our school. We became part of the Nord Anglia family and that just opened up incredible opportunities because here I, I now had a cohort of colleagues around the globe that I really didn't have before. Mm. And our students had opportunities to collaborate with students, um, you know, all over. And, um, and that was just really, really exciting. I was head of school for seven years. And then again, I had been working on my doctoral degree, something that had been on my bucket list and was, um, moved into a supportive role on the education team, looking at educational technology, started that in 2019, COVID hit in January. And then this past July, I became the director of education. Well, that's a fantastic story. And I love the fact you, you saw your baby sister there, you know, you talk about how you saw her as a, as a pupil. Uh, and that obviously drove you to where you are now in some ways, you know, it really shows that from small acorns do mighty oaks grow. Yes. And, and, um, and she still takes credit for all of my success. <laughs> of course. <laughs> As she should. Yes, of course. Yes. Yeah, good. Uh, um, sisterly and, or, you know, brotherly, whatever it might be. Um, competitive never goes away, does it? Um, that's excellent. No, that's really interesting. And it shows how, you know, one can sort of grow in a career like you have, and it doesn't have to be a sort of sound. It's very much sounds like it's happened organically and through people believing mm-hmm. you and opening doors and, and you don't have to sometimes be that kind of ruthless. I'm going for the top and no one's getting in my way. You can achieve these roles by doing good work, by being spotted and, and, you know, just when something opportunity comes along, you go for it. Yeah. And I think the the theme of mentorship has played a huge role in my life. Mm. And I've tried to do that for others as well. That, that's something that just means a great deal to me. Yeah, that, you're absolutely right. That's a very important thing. Maybe we can talk about that in a bit more detail mm. sort of later on in the conversation. And I think obviously one question that naturally comes up there is, you know, taking on this role in July 2020 during the middle of a pandemic, the likes of which we haven't, no one knew about before, you know, slap bang in the middle of, of the, of, of such a tough year. I mean, that must've been daunting. What, what sort of, how, what, where did you, when you came into there all that time, then what were you sort of tasked with doing? How did you have to adapt quite quickly and what you were being asked to, to lead on? When I, when I took over the role, um, I had already been working with the education team and, you know, we, we had spent a lot of time, one, supporting and learning from schools as this crisis hit. So, you know, for us, it happened to our schools in China and Southeast Asia first. And so mm. the instinct is to come in and support any way you can, even though there's a lot of uncharted territory. But we quickly were able to learn from the schools that were going through sort of shutting down, moving to their, their curriculum online. Um, and apply that across our schools. And so when I took over, that was exactly the, the sort of the model. What are we learning? And then how are we sharing that, amplifying that across, you know, the entire family of schools? And we started really um, creating this resource library, you know, back in um, February, 
we were saying, okay, how can we help teachers immediately? They're learning new technology. We're learning a whole new vocabulary around synchronous and asynchronous learning. What are things we can do to just make their lives a little bit easier? And so we began to curate resources. We just put a call to action out to, you know, all of our teachers across all of our schools and said, what do you have? have that you could share. Maybe there's, we can help teachers cut down on planning. Maybe there's some things that you can, that we could just easily do. And in a few weeks we had 10,000 plus resources. So we were curating those and, mm. and sharing those. And, you know, we started to find out about some, somebody doing something really innovative in this school and said, Hey, could you just do a quick webinar for us? So, you know, we had a, a, a brilliant teacher who was using puppets for early years, because we, we knew that was an area we really wanted to try and figure out how to engage students. You know, he said, of course, was able to do that and share that. And so when I came in, it was really about how do we move from reactive to proactive and pivot, um, take everything we've learned and do that. And so we set up um, resource areas on Nord Anglia University, which is our platform for professional development. And, you know, and all of that was what are the best practices going on in our network? And then in the global, in the global wider world, you know, people are very generous in education about sharing, whether it's on Twitter or on Instagram, you know, things that are out there. And so mm -hmm. we took the best of the best um, and put that on our virtual school area on North Anglia University. We recognized through surveys and, and teacher um focus groups that we really needed to provide more tech training for teachers. Um, and so really going out and curating the best of tech training so that people would come back to school really prepared this year. Um, and we also learned a lot from the, the idea that teachers really wanted to share. And, and while that wasn't new, the ways we were sharing um, content and curriculum, that was different for us. And so we, we put a call to action out and said, who wants to create our own content together? And so we had 150 teachers in the middle of a pandemic who said, yep, I have extra time. I want to do this. Mm. And we started creating um, some curriculum and things, activities for students on which we placed on global campus, which is our, um, our platform for students to collaborate. And so we created an entire area for early years called GC Junior that we've never had before. And we had the, we had early years teachers across our schools from the Americas to Southeast Asia to India creating story sacks and elements projects, um, so that we would be really prepared this year, um, you know, knowing that there was mm. going to be uncertainties. And that's been, um, that's been a really a big piece of what we've done. And, you know, also trying to look at every challenge as an opportunity. So, you know, our, our schools do a lot of um, global um, collaborative events in person. Well, we couldn't do our expeditions to Tanzania. So, you know, certainly nothing will replace that experience. But what can we do online that can give maybe even more students the opportunity? And so creating global expeditions or mm. um, working with our partners. So really looking at how we use this virtual platform differently um, and so that we can touch as many students and support as many teachers as possible. Yeah, that, that's a really good set of insights there. I mean, that figure of 10,000 resources, it sounded like you had available very quickly is incredible. And I, I'm presuming most of them were made by teachers because what comes across there quite a lot is it sounds like the, the teachers in some ways you were, you were taking their ideas and their best practice and then taking it to the community. It wasn't a case of 
you imposing on them, we're telling you what to do because we've picked up this, you know, we've got an idea and this is what we think you should do. It's more like, what can, what are you doing? Tell us what works and we can share it with the West, the rest of the company and the community. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, things, you know, we would, we would find things in these, in these archives and all these, all of these wonderful things that people were sharing that led us to go identify that teacher. I found this incredible maths lessons. They were all a teacher who did a brilliant job with a flipped classroom and had been doing that for, for a very long time, was really expert in that. While many of us were just sort of understanding what what that could mean. Mm. And so she put all of her maths resources from all of her um, secondary maths classes in video and was able to share that. And so, and then to be able to see your work used by other people across, you know, with, with students that you will may never know and teachers that you, you know, you might exchange an email with. I mean, that's pretty powerful. And what a, what a wonderful way to sort of share your expertise. Um, and so mm. now we're just really trying to do that more strategically by saying, okay, let's now, let's move from just sharing what you do, which we're still doing, but let's co-create. How exciting is that? And that's sort of um, the direction we've been moving in. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. Would you, is, this, is there a silver lining here that that sort of sharing and that collaboration, or sharing on the first level and collaboration as the second thing, did that happen before? I mean, I'm sure it did to a degree, but do you think the, the necessity of it in 2020 sort of, it's made everyone realise that, how we got all these resources, we've got these experts all over the world, and it's actually not that difficult, thanks to technology, to share a resource from a teacher in China to a teacher in Chile or America. Yeah. But actually it wasn't really being done enough because people just sort of, I don't know, there wasn't a need so much, there wasn't a necessity, whereas now, then there was... And that now has opened doors to new possibilities that before, yes, we knew they were there, but we didn't act on them enough. I, I completely agree with that, Dan. We, we always had opportunities for teachers to share, but I think you're right. I think this, this sort of pushed us to think about what we share, how we share, how often, um, and really look to our teachers who are our experts to really um, to help support and nurture the network. And you know what, by doing that, where, you know, we're able to, to work in ways we haven't before. Um, and people re- just, they, they want to support each other and being part of a network, being able to feel that you're connected to all of these teachers all over the, all over the, the world. Mm. It's just a, a really pretty, it's a remarkable thing for, for anybody who works in an organization like this. But I think for the teacher in the classroom, to feel that greater connection to the profession um, and to and to others um, within the organization, I think has certainly been a silver lining. And mm. and I think you know you know this has forced us to look at technology differently. You know to maybe make some changes that um, would have come slower um, mm. because I think change is slow in education. Um, but to force us to say, okay, well, how do we use video? How can we extend learning beyond classroom walls? And, you know, and we've not only done that with our teachers, but we've done that with our partners as well. So we have collaborations with MIT and we bring students to Boston, but well, knowing we can't do that and knowing that didn't even touch all of our students, how do we create really interesting experiences um, that all of our students can participate in. And so we've created these fire hose chats that um, MIT professors are doing with our students. Our students get to ask and pose questions 
um, ahead of time. And, you know, they're done in some time zones where it works for students. Sometimes it doesn't, but we record everything. So if you can't see it at one point, you can see it on another. Our, we do challenges um, every year with MIT. Typically, those are um, we design them to be done in school, but now we had to think, okay, well, some of our schools might not be open, so we needed to create challenges that would would sort of um, fit in a brick and mortar environment or in a at home environment if a student was learning at home or in a virtual environment. So we pivoted um, with their support, and our challenges this year are about space. And since none of us are going to space this year, it was actually a pretty safe topic. Um, but our kids are, are learning about it. They're creating food. They're looking at what life, you know, is like. And, um, and we can share all of that through our global campus. And so really looking at, you know, at all of these challenges as opportunities. Mm. And, and I mean, one thing on this end, this idea of collaborating and going forward is when you, in your role, I guess you're very, you know, you're quite privilege, I suppose is a good word to see all the best stuff that's going on around the world. How do you, going forward, do you think there's going to be a sense of, at first it's about sharing what's out there and, you know, getting it into teachers, but then over time, does it become about maybe looking at what works best? I don't know if you have a school where they're getting fantastic results in a certain subject, you think, oh, those teachers must be doing something really well. Their, their, Their scores are way above average. You can go to them and look at their resources, ask them to produce something, ask them to get something out there. And you can sort of then ensure that it's the best of the best that's going out. I mean, is that where this would go in the future? Do you think that kind of refinement of what's worth putting out? Whereas at the moment, again, correct me if I'm wrong, but maybe it was a case of let's just put as much out as we can so teachers can go in and get what they hopefully need. Whereas in the future, maybe it'll be refinement about the, again, as I say, the, the best of the best ideas. Absolutely. I think you've been peeking at my diary. Um, (laughs) Yes, that, you know, that's exactly so starting out, you know, so again, that's like moving from being reactive to proactive, seeing that there's some brilliant work going on that's getting brilliant results. How do we share that and amplify that and make sure that everybody has access to that? And, you know, and, and so we're doing that through, you know, through all of our channels that we can. And at the same time, we're saying, okay, let's take all of these teachers who are doing great things in their own schools, put them together in a virtual workshop. And what are they coming up with? And they're coming up with brilliant, brilliant things. We're, we're working on some, some co-creating some science curriculum right now. Um, because these are experts in their field, in their own schools, they've had exceptional results, um, and they want to work and, you know, and create this synergy with other teachers to create something that schools can use um, no matter what your curriculum is. Um, uh, so, so really exciting projects going on around learning from the, learning from the best, understanding what data tells us, um, where, what place it has sort of in, in giving us really good insights into what's going on in schools and making sure that we share that in a, in a way that's both organic and strategic. Yes. And, and that reference to data there is quite interesting because again, I mean, in your role, but maybe, I mean, obviously in some ways the pandemic will be the defining thing here, but more generally, I mean, how much data, data analysis do you do? Is it, is, is it the, you know, the, the sort of guiding star on everything or is it something that again is, it's becoming more important? Whereas, whereas in the past so much of, I mean, lots of industries, not just education, but has always run on sort of intuition and so forth, which obviously has its place, but data is becoming, you know, the new oil, as they say. I mean, how much of that is sort of going into the work you do now? 
I think it's a really important piece of what we do. I would never um, say that a teacher's gut or instinct is not really, you know, doesn't have value because we know that it does. You know, the relationships that teachers and students develop are really important and teachers get great insight from that. But I think there's a whole piece around understanding what data can tell us. You know, I think for many of us, we've always looked at sort of that end data, that summative assessment, the external exams. But it's really about sort of going backwards and unpacking all the the formative um, assessment along the way. So you really learn about how students are learning, their preferences, um, what works for them. And then amplifying that, sharing that um, across schools, across regions, and then certainly across the global network. So we're really interested in, we have a lot of data. Are we using it really well? Um, What is it telling us? Are we training our teachers to use that um, to to create a holistic picture of a child? Um, And, you know, and data doesn't have to be test data. You know, and I think that's what we're learning, too, that there's lots of ways of assessing students, rigorous ways to understand how students are learning that aren't all all a multiple choice exam. Thank goodness. And I think that that is going to be going to take us well into the future. How do we design assessment for learning um, that allows creativity, that allows choice, um, autonomy for students, but still ensures that we're getting the outcomes that um, that are expected and that students should have. And so there's a whole lot of excitement around how we're, how we're kind of moving the needle on that. Um, I think as an organization and I think in education in general. Well, I mean, you, you sort of joked that I've maybe been reading your diary, but I think you must've been reading my questions because <laughs> the, sort of, the next thing that I was gonna ask you, an area I was gonna come on to was about the future in regards to assessment mm-hmm. and so forth. And obviously again, in your role in your organization, you know, you're really seeing the sort of huge swathe of, of, you know, the experience of what the last year has shown and the fallout from, you know, exams. And obviously there was lots mm-hmm. of problems in, in various nations, obviously UK and the International mm-hmm. Baccalaureate, you know, and again, I don't think anyone would be too sort of critical because everyone was was grappling with these things. And yes, things mm-hmm. could have been done better, but at the same time, it was all a learning curve. But it, one thing that came out of it was absolutely, as you touched on there, was assessment and are we doing it in the best way? And do, you know, does a one big exam at the end of a year study, does that actually affect a student and what they're like? Now, of course, how we change that is is up in the air and difficult, but it sounds like you're very much of the mindset that we should be looking at it. We should be dissecting what we do and are there better ways that we assess and understand our pupils, you know, for the future? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that is, I think that will be the big topic moving forward for everyone. And I think it's the right one and a really important one. Um, you know, we know that we're not just preparing students for university. We're really looking to prepare students to, you know, very cliche for a world that we don't really know, you know, or understand or what it's going to be like. But that's actually really true. And if we're really going to do that, um, is it is it an exam the best way to do that? Or is it does it have a place within a larger framework of how we look at teaching and learning? and how students are able to to, um, show what they know. But more than that, you know, we I think we all know that almost anything can be Googled, right? Content Mm. is accessible for students. And so we have to really think about what does the student of the, you know, the student now need for the future. And a lot of that is around skills. It's around, 
you know, resilience and flexibility and critical thinking and creativity and collaboration. And if those are truly important, and I think that they are, how do we measure that? Because we tend to not, um, we not value what we can't measure. Mm. Um, and I think, I think that's a mistake. And I think that's what we're looking at. How do we, how do we ensure that our students have the experiences um, that build those skills and those mindsets? Um, how do we measure that? And how do we make sure that fits into a really robust college preparatory education that takes students, um, you know, to their first choice university, but really beyond that. And I think a lot of that has to do with working with universities that, um, you know, I, I, they lead in that, in what they're looking for in students. And I think they're doing the same thing. They're recognizing that um, there's a holistic way of really looking at, at students that I think we all have to really align around and support. Mm. I, I feel I'll put you on the spot here, but do you have an idea in mind of what that might look like? I mean, I, I can't imagine a world in some ways where exams don't exist in a form, but do you think it's about other things alongside that that actually go into that final assessment or something like that? Oh, I do. I, you know, I, I think the idea of students keeping a, a really rich portfolio that that demonstrates their learning in multiple ways is a really important piece. You know, there are organizations looking at that. The mastery transcript um, in the states is looking at ways that high school students can demonstrate their learning that don't have grades attached. I don't think we're going to move in that direction as a system, and I think that would be very difficult to do. Um, but I do think that um, students creating, you know, bodies of work that really substantiate who they are, that, um, that show all of those skills um, that maybe you don't necessarily see an exam where in an exam you understand that students have a body of knowledge. Um, and then I think we have to look at exams differently. Are they asking students to um, repeat and regurgitate content or are they really looking at applying skills um, taking what I've learned and applying it in a new context. So I think we're looking at how we design, um, you know, assessment for learning from pre-K up through, you know, our students going off to university. And I think we'll see a lot of pivot of that as well. And we're also looking at how we capture those other things and what those things are that are really important for a North Anglia student to have when they leave. What are mm -hmm. those skills and dispositions? And there's lots of ways, um, that, you know, we're in, you know, in conversations at school levels and at regional levels and with principals. But also, I think an interesting area that we haven't really tapped a lot is our alumni, too, mm. in thinking about what was it that prepared you or what did you wish you would have um, maybe had more of? Um, because I think things are changing and we need to really be embrace sort of the dynamic nature of where we are. Mm. Yes, it's a good point, that isn't it? Like what you learn from school when you get older, you look back and you can understand and pinpoint that. Oh, actually, I was learning geography and history, of course, but actually, I was learning character and resilience. Mm -hmm. And the time spent, you know, playing football was actually that was important too. And the way we were, were managed, you know, and you know, taught in that. And, but it's hard to sort of define that at school, isn't it? When, you, when yeah. you're there or have the teacher to write down, oh, today they learn resilience that in 20 years' time I know they'll call on. Right. But it, it, we know it happens. So how do we sort of prove it's happening, I guess, is the hard thing, isn't it? Yeah, it is interesting to think that. And, you know, and I think the other thing is we, we also have to think about we're in a really challenging time globally, and I certainly don't want to have a political conversation, but mm. I do know that we have to think about 
is our is our curriculum is our content is it allowing students to um, to really to acquire the skills they're going to need to navigate in you know through some really difficult things are we teaching them about media literacy mm. you know um, you know we you know we talk about all the different kinds of literacy students need I think you know that media literacy is a really important piece of that do we you know are we able to understand what we're being fed and become really savvy um, sophisticated users of what's accessible to us um, you know are we are we teaching our kids really the leadership skills so that they you know they see all kinds of things they're grappling with as you know as as young people um, but do they feel they have the opportunity to make an impact? So really, uh, you know, that social impact, equalities, diversity, uh, curriculum, all of those things are really important. And, you know, we're looking at those We're we're starting to ensure that those conversations are, are being had in our schools mm. so that um, we're 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 really trying to to think about um, students in a really holistic way and that that future beyond university. Mm. And, and one, one final question on this area, if I may, is that I, I imagine, and obviously I appreciate you're you know, in some ways fairly, well, obviously new to the role, but you must talk to obviously a lot of people around the world, whether it's obviously at the moment virtually, but you know, both within North Anglia and, and presumably outside as well. And obviously given the scale of the, the reach of the organisation and the numbers of pupils coming through your system or through your schools and going on to big universities, as you, as you say, you must have a bit of clout there or a voice that carries weight. And if you're saying these sort of things to certain people and, and other or other people are sort of, you're engaged in these kind of conversations, you know, do you see this as something that there is a momentum behind this and there are people out there who are in the positions, including someone like yourself, to actually have a sort of, we think this should happen and that might actually turn into action rather than it just being, you know, a teacher in a classroom somewhere thinking, oh, I'm not sure this is the best way to assess the pupils in this class. This is actually something that has, you know, you know, people in places to actually make that change. Yeah, I, th I think that's a really good question. I think where what I would say to that is that we're really looking to do that. You know, ensuring we're you know we're we're really understanding what's out. You know, in in the, you know in the larger education mm. sort of ecosystem, deciding for ourselves what we think makes sense for North Anglia schools, and then as we sort of create sort of the, you know, a social impact or wellness programs and all of the things that are really important now to our schools. Um, we then have this voice and this platform. And I think this responsibility to share what we're learning, we, you know, with, you know, with 69 schools, you know, we're, we're, we're our own, you know, sort of research lab. There's, there's just so much that we can, um, that we are learning from our schools that we know we can share um, out in, you know, with others so that we all just get better. I think the one thing I will say about education I've always found is even though you may have competitors in, in the end, we're all really looking to make our schools better, make our students the best they can be um, to provide the best experiences, you know, um, and, and I've always found educators, regardless when I was a principal or a head of school and, and had other local schools that might compete for children in, a, in that we really all wanted um, to just continue to be the best we can be. And I think North Anglia has a responsibility and this opportunity um, because of the work we're doing to continue to share that. We, we just um, did some work recently um, 
that, you know, we've, we've been able to work with the Brookings Institute and talk about parent engagement. And so we were able to sit with educators from all over the globe. And how exciting was that um, mm. outside of our organization to talk about what we've learned about parent educate ed- engagement and what parents want. So I do think um, we, you know, we have the desire certainly to be part of the conversation and where we can have influence. I think that's great. But for us, it's really making sure that that we're continuing to be an organization that learns about learning and then shares that with others. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I understand that it's it's not an easy thing to sort of make the sort of definitive, no, we, we're going to do this, or we're going to demand yeah. this change. But it's, it's certainly notable that, you know, talking to other people in similar positions to yourself in, in some of the international school setups, is there is this sort of recognition now, and obviously it's state level too, but that, that change might be needed. And I just feel like when you have that number of schools, that number of teachers that are represented by those, you know, those organisations, it, it, it must sort of be noted and, and might not happen in a year or even two years, but but there will be this sort of general sort of, we are seeing this globally, we're seeing on large numbers of teachers, large numbers of pupils, mm-hmm. there's there's scope here for things to be better. And we don't know, you know, no one knows exactly what that will look like, but it's just interesting that there is that sort of slower build of like, we're going to, let's talk about this actually, let's not just think it, but let's put the conversation out there and, and see what people think. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Agree with you totally on that. Excellent. Well, I think um, that's great. And I think what would be nice, and we, we touched on the very beginning of our conversation, is to sort of cover this issue of mentorship. Um, because I thought it was really nice. You said at one point, um, you, they saw something in you that you didn't see in yourself, which is quite a sort of, you know, it's a, it's a nice insight because at that time, you know, you may not have thought, oh, I'm, I'm suitable for that kind of role. Or I'm not there yet. I haven't learned stuff. And this person was like, no, I, I can see that in you. You can do this. And you said that's something you've always carried through and think is very important. I think a lot of people would, would agree with that or also, yeah, that's good. But it sounds like you've genuinely had the right people to push you forward and get you, you know, to actually deliver that sort of insight. How, how do you then in your position now try and be a mentor to people? And what advice do you think you should give to someone? You've seen that work well, it's, it's benefited you. What advice would you give to somebody who wants to be that good mentor to, to a young up and coming teacher? Yeah. Well, first of all, I love this topic. You know, I, I, um, you know, I, I've always considered myself sort of an accidental leader mm. because I I didn't see it in myself. And I think while that could happen um, for men or women, that's very common with women. Mm. And I can say that with some certainty because I did my my doctoral research on the underrepresentation of women in educational leadership. So sort of spent three years immersed in the topic because I looked around and said, wow, how did I get here? And then recognize that it was really wonderful people who pushed me when I didn't think that I could or encouraged me. Um, and so, you know, I've spent a lot of time sort of thinking about that topic and really, you know, sort of in an ad hoc way, trying to give back to, to people I've worked with. But it, it is it is really true. There are, you know, the statistics around women in leadership really at the top end of leadership and, and um, and in the positions of influence are really only about 33% of roles. Um, and that's in the U.S. in public education in private and in international education. So only a third of sort of the heads of school mm. or principals at the top are women. And while that might be, you know, okay and not okay, but it might be more typical in other professions. You think about a profession that where the workforce is over 70% women, um, that's just not a good statistic. Mm. And so, um, 
you know, a lot of my research was on why aren't women, why aren't they sort of breaking that glass ceiling? And there are a lot of obstacles that are, um, you know, are sort of the barriers that are um, sort of imposed on women based on gender, you know, things like work-life balance and family responsibility. In some cases, there's, you know, bias or sort of traditional gender norms, but there are women who are breaking through. So I spent a lot of my time trying to understand the women that did rise to the top. And a lot of that had to do with mentors or ad hoc, um, you know, sort of advocates for them. And so that's a big area for, for me personally. And I think for me, it's always about um, looking around, tapping people on the shoulder, giving people opportunity. A lot of the women that I, in my study said that they didn't have the same opportunities. And maybe often women don't raise their hand for those opportunities. And so finding ways to ensure that in your workplaces that you really are um, you know, giving men and women equal opportunity for leadership development. Um, mm. What's really, you know, what what I've always loved about Nord Anglia and, and like everybody else, we're, we're, you know, we're continuing to look at all of those, those things. But we have great leadership programs from middle leaders to senior leaders to aspiring principal leadership programs. Um, and, you know, they are equally habited by, you know, men and women and really trying to look at making sure that we, um, we mentor people that we see the potential in them that they sometimes don't see in themselves mm -hmm. and really try to do that. I've, I've tried to do that personally, um, and certainly professionally, um, making sure that we are, you know, prioritizing that equity for, for students and for, for women in leadership and men as well. Mm. Yeah, there's a lot there, isn't there? And you're, you're absolutely yeah. right. You point out some of those statistics around, you know, the numbers in different roles versus the numbers in the workforce. And that's always quite notable and immediately sort of raises quite a few questions. I mean, with your experience and I mean, this, again, this isn't an easy, maybe more, maybe it is, I don't know, but I don't think it's an easy question, but is mentorship and, and sort of providing opportunities, is it something that works best if it's almost um, compulsory or it's, it's managed in a sort of system compulsory is the wrong word. I mean like a system where you sort of identify and put them on a program and then they, they get something out of it. Or is it more ad hoc? Is it more, actually, I'm going to ask certain to do that because I think they can do that. And, and and just, you know, you bring them in and you have a chat and you send them away and, and they get on with it. What, what sort of works best in your experience yeah. or what do you think on that? So I actually did a little research on mentor programs. And a lot of times, actually, formal mentoring programs have not been successful um, because, you know, people have been paired and there's not a lot of chemistry there. You know, it doesn't, um, it doesn't, it doesn't, I don't think that means that they cannot be successful. Um, but I think, I think making sure that the, the training is there, the leadership training, you know, there's, there, a lot of my research at the end, I, when I talked to women who had, who had reached a level of success, um, they said that a lot of, a lot of what held them back initially were things like their own self-doubt or self-confidence, you know, issues. Could I do this? Do I, you know, do I have the ability? So, and what they said was when they started having the right kinds of training, when they were given the opportunity to even co-lead a project, um, it started to build 
that sense of confidence. It built their skill set, their tool, you know, their toolbox. And, um, and that was really important. So I would say, I wouldn't say not do one or the other, mm-hmm. but that really that exposure to, um, to experiences and training is really, really important. And sometimes you have to hold, you know, you know, you have to encourage, you know, and, and hold people's hand and say, yes, you can do this. Um, and even if they decide they never want to leave the classroom, all of that, you know, you know, all of that education, all of those experiences they can use to just, you know, to make their classrooms, you know, uh, you know, better in some way or fashion. So I would say a little of both. I, I think there has to be some intent behind it, um, but certainly making sure that that um, women have equal access to training and opportunities mm. is really important. And that you know that does a couple of things. One, you know, it creates equal voice at the at the you know the management or the leadership levels because um, that's really important. And our students need to be able to see themselves recognized in their leaders. And they need to be able to see that so that they can aspire to that as well. Mm. So it's really important for us on, you know, to, to ensure, um, and that's not just Nordanglia, that's the education as a whole to make sure that there's representation and that's people of color, women, men, um, so important, you know, no, their audience are their students, their children, and they need to be able to see that they can do that. Mm. And what one sort of, Final thing, or maybe it's um, round up again. One sort of other question on this is: during your career, it sounded like from earlier that you were always, you know, fortunate to to work with people who were willing to, to provide those opportunities to hand over responsibility to to mentors who spend the time. And of course, the reality is sometimes you could move somewhere and bump into someone who doesn't want to do that. You know, they're quite power hungry and they they don't like sharing and they they actually or they're not and they shouldn't be in that position for whatever reason. Did you ever experience that? And if you did, did you sort of see it quickly and sort of find a way away from that situation? Or if you did, if someone listened to this feels like, well, actually that's where I am right now. I've, I've got loads of ideas. I'm pushing all the time, but I just don't get that engagement. And, and you know, people don't, they don't listen. Do you think the answer is you just have to sort of, that's a culture problem and you, you, you know, you need to find another route out than just sort of accepting oh, that this place doesn't, won't listen to me. Yeah. You know, that's a, that's a very interesting question. Um, I actually just did uh, a workshop at a, at a, um, at a teacher's um, uh, convention last week. And we talked about that quite a bit. And I think there's a few things. I think one, um, you know, if you're not finding the opportunities, you need to ask for it. Um, And, you know, sometimes it's not just, I want, I want an experience. It's, I've identified a challenge that I think I have a potential solution for. Sometimes it's not that a, a, a leader is um, power hungry. Sometimes it probably could be, but, um, but, you know, being able to come in with something that you've identified and potentially a path forward that you want to try um, it's a lot harder to, for somebody to say no to that. So really constructively thinking about what is it that I can contribute that will grow my leadership skills that will better the organization is a, is a good way to, mm. to, you know, is a good approach. I think sometimes there is the, you know, the idea that if you're not being nurtured, if you're not getting experiences, if you're not if there, if you don't have access to training, then, you know, potentially it is, it is time to look for, um, a, an environment that you can get those things. I think they're really important. Um, 
that teachers have the opportunity to, to grow and to, to, um, explore the possibilities, uh, you know, whether it's a leadership role or something else in education. And, and I think that's, you know, that's one of the things that I really value about being part of North Anglia. And, um, and I think that, um, makes us really unique is that mm. we do provide those. And, and, you know, and, and as I said, most teachers love what they do and maybe never want to leave the classroom. And I think that's fantastic, but I think we just need to make sure that we have pathways for, for everybody to continue to learn. Yeah, absolutely. Well, certainly for me, you know, your, your story from the start about, you know, always wanting to be a teacher and, and, you know, kind of like teaching your sister and, and going on through there and, and where you've ended up. I think it shows that, you know, if you have that kind of innate, both mm-hmm. ability and desire and sort of passion mm-hmm. that, that these opportunities, they are there. And sometimes mm-hmm. people can open the door for you. Sometimes you have to go through yourself, but either way it's, right. it's, it can be done. It's, and obviously hopefully it'll be done for more people, more female leaders, particularly in the future. Yeah. Absolutely. Agree. And, 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 and I, you know, I think we're starting to see that. I think people mm-hmm. are, you know, and again, you know, change has been slow, but I think there's been a lot of um, spotlight on equity issues and I think we'll continue to see people pushing for that. There's a lot of great grassroots organizations of women leaders that are really encouraging. But it's not just about women. It's about, you know, equity for everyone. And it's about making sure that um, that this as an as sort of as an agenda is, is equally important to men and women for all of the reasons that we talked about, you know, mm. that it, it's not just a women's issue. It's, it's an, you know, it's an issue we all have to get behind um, in order to ensure that we have the very best leaders um, in our schools. Well, I think that's a very sort of a nice positive place to end. And, and you know, so thank you so much for, for talking about both, both that and your experiences through your career, but also again, the, the work you've done, the work you're, you're going to do or looking at, doing i think it's a really interesting subject and i think you know something that the listeners will have got a lot out of and be you know great to sort of catch up during the year and see how things are going and maybe you know another 12 months on there'll be a lot well i'm sure there will be a lot more to talk about yeah would love that dan thank you so much